If you have your Bibles with you, I invite your attention, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And as you know, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're following the theme of how to live according to Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount, of course, is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, addressing some of the greatest subjects and issues that you and I will ever face in life, recorded in the greatest book that has ever been written, the Bible. And so we're following today through uh, the Sermon on the Mount and we're working our way through the Beatitudes at this point and we are at the seventh Beatitude in Matthew chapter five and verse nine. The scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. That the Bible mentions the word peace so many times as Jonathan said earlier, some 400 times in the Bible, you'll find the word peace. No wonder then that we can refer to the Bible as God's testament of peace. The Bible assures us that when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, that he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. But if all of this is true, then why is there so much turmoil? Why is there so much conflict and trouble in the world? Jesus said, these things I have spoken unto you that you might have peace. But in the world you will have tribulation. Now the word tribulation is an interesting word. It's translated different ways. Sometimes like in the New Living Translation, it's translated trials and sorrows. So indeed our world and our lives are filled with trials and sorrows. The New International Version translates it as troubles. Every time I hear the word troubles, I think about the little poem that says, I've got a heap of troubles and I've got to work them out. But I look around and see why there's trouble all about. And when I see my troubles, I just look up and grin. And I thank the Lord for all the troubles that I'm not in. So all of us have troubles. I've often said to you that all of us are either in trouble, coming out of trouble, or getting ready to go into trouble. All of us have problems and sorrows and difficulties, trials and distresses. In fact, I like the way the Amplified Bible paraphrases the word trouble. It translates it as tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. So all of us at times have trials and distress and frustrations. When we look at the world today, we see trouble all around us. We see the trouble and the conflict that's going in on in Afghanistan the Islamic insurgent in Nigeria, the trouble that's going on in the Ukraine, uh, war in Northwest Pakistan, the Mexico drug war, the uh, Syrian civil war that is taking place, the Iraqi insurgents, the, the Islamic terrorists that have uh, attacked our country, uh, North Korea, who's always a constant uh, a bother to us, the Egyptian conflict that's going on everywhere you look in the world today. There's trouble, there's conflict, there's misunderstanding, there's heartache, there is war. Even in our own country, while we may not be fighting one another, there are many ways that we experience troubles and trials and distress and frustration, especially on the domestic scene. Uh, there's domestic violence, of course. There's child abuse, even adult abuse. There's an estimated one million divorces in the United States of America every year. Do you know what the leading cause of divorce today is? The lack of communication. 
the number one problem in marriages today. The average marriage of the first marriage that a couple will go through is eight years. It costs $15,000 to have a divorce on the average. There's trouble everywhere, everywhere. Back in 1991, you may remember over in Los Angeles, California, a man by the name of Rodney King who was arrested after being chased after a, a fast speed chase. He was beaten by five Los Angeles policemen. At the trial, the five officers were acquitted. And it is believed that the acquittal of the five officers was what uh, triggered the 1992 Los Angeles riots. The riots involved 53 people who were killed, over 2,000 people who were injured, more than 7,000 fires that were started, causing a damage of 3,100 business at the tune of $1 billion. When Rodney King was interviewed on television while all of the rioting was going on, he said what has become his lasting legacy as to what he said, can we all get along? Well, of course, there's a question that is legitimately asked. Can we all get along? If we can't, why not? Well, James in his epistle, and if you would take your Bibles for just a moment, keep your place there at Matthew, but turn to the book of James chapter 5. Chapter 4, excuse me, the first four verses, James tells us why we can't get along. James chapter 4 and the first four verses mention three wars that are taking place. In verse 1, he talks about the war that is going on within our own hearts. The New Living Translation says in verse 1 of James 4, 1, What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires at war within you? So every one of us at times are at war with ourselves. The Apostle Paul, you remember, talked about the civil war that was going on in his life, the flesh against the spirit. And oftentimes the flesh would overcome the desire to do what's good. He said, what I know I ought to be doing, I don't do what I, what I should be doing. I'm not doing that. There's a war going on in the inside of me, he was saying. All of us struggle with that on the inner conflict, warring on the inside of us. But men are also at war with other people. He goes on in verse 1 to say, Is not the source your pleasures that war within you and your members? Verse 2 says, You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have cause because you do not ask, he says. But when you do ask... You don't ask with the right motive. So we are at war with one another. We are at war with ourselves. And we are most of all at war with God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 in verse 10. While we were yet enemies. We were not reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Paul describes our, our, our condition. Before we became Christians. Before we committed to the Lord Jesus. As being an enemy of the Lord. And that's basically why there is conflict in the world today. Can you imagine what it would be like if our president would go to uh, the uh, nation meeting that they have there in New York City and, and stand up and say to the leaders of the world, there is one word that can define why we're having so much conflict and war and hatred in the world, and it is sin. And the only answer to the conflict and the trouble uh, and, the, and the wars that are going on in the world today is repentance of that sin and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ who is God's only begotten Son and trusting Him as Lord and Savior. 
why he would be the laughing stock of the world. It would be a miracle if he did it to begin with, but uh, still he would be a laughing stock of the world to say to the world, sin is our problem and Jesus is the cure. There are three things or four things that I want to share with you today as we think about the priority of being a peacemaker. And the first thing that we want to examine as we work our way through the message is the provision of peace. The provision of peace. We need peace. And I'm happy to say to you that peace is available and it has been provided for us and it is the Trinity that makes it possible, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for us to be at peace with ourselves, with one another, and with God himself. So look at it, if you would, please. First of all, the provision of peace. And we notice, first of all, that peace was planned by God the Father. Peace was planned by God the Father. The Bible tells us that God is a God of peace. To describe God as a God of peace is a frequent uh, verse, that, uh, a wording that Paul uses throughout his epistles in the book of Romans, in the book of 2 Corinthians, in 1 Thessalonians, as well as Philippians. He closes those letters by saying, may the God of peace be with you. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. 1 Thessalonians 5 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely. So Paul calls God the God of peace, and he says, may the God of peace sanctify you. The word sanctified literally means to set aside, to set aside you from the world unto himself. That's what God does. That's what God did for you when you were saved, when you trusted the Lord as your Savior. He brought you out of the world of spiritual darkness and placed you in a world of spiritual light, and he set you aside unto himself for himself. And so he sanctified you, but Paul says in this verse of Scripture that he did so completely. And he talks about the, the body, the soul, and the spirit. Every human being is made up of those three parts. You are a body, a soul, and a spirit. Your body is the physical body, the temple that you live in, the flesh and the bone and the blood that runs through your veins. Uh, my body is uh, where, where I live. I look at you through the windows of my, my body called the eyes and, and my soul and spirit on the inside of me can see you, you can see me. So we're flesh and bone, we have a body, but we also have um, a soul. The soul is made up of the emotion, the will and the intellect. And, uh, and so he says, I sanctify that to it, but then the spiritual part of you, the spirit, that is that part about you that sets you apart from all the rest of the world and the animals of the world you alone have the ability to communicate with God. And Paul says the Lord has taken you and he has set you aside from the world and to himself and he has set you aside in your body, in your soul, and in your spirit. And he's done this completely, completely. That was his plan for you. And Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for calamity. So your salvation and the peace that you enjoy was planned for you by God the Father himself. Not only was it planned by God the Father, but it was purchased by God the Son. Purchased by God the Son. Now the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, 
For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Notice that Isaiah says that a child has been born into us. The word child refers to the human, de- the human part of, of Christ. The word son refers to his deity. Jesus is the God-man. He was one of us. He is known as the Prince of Peace. I want you to take your Bibles and this time turn to the New Testament book of Colossians. The New Testament book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. I want to spend just a brief moment here in these verses, two verses of Scripture from the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Now, I'm reading out of the New American Standard translation of the Bible. You may have a different translation. But the New American Standard Bible in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says... For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Now the word him is a reference to Jesus. So it says it's the Father's good pleasure that all the fullness of the Godhead, all of the attributes of God, his power, all that he is, dwells in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The word dwell here literally means to permanently dwell. In other words, Jesus has always been the Son of God. He has always been powerful, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. And he all is now and he always will be. The being and the nature of his deity is permanently a part of the Lord Jesus. It pleased the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Now notice verse 20. And through him, that is through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself having been made peace through the blood of the cross, through him, I say, were the things on the earth or things in the heaven. Now notice in verse 20, in my translation of the verse, the word through appears three times. Through him, having made peace through his blood, and through him, all things in heaven and in earth, he says, uh, have, have been, he died for all of us, all of us. Through him. Now, your translation may read by him, by him, by him, by him. Mine says through him, through him, through him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross that made it possible for you and I to be at peace with ourselves, with one another, and ultimately with God. It's all through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Billy Graham has a book on the Beatitudes called The Secret of Happiness. And in this part about the peacemaker, he talks about the time that he was in a museum in England where he saw a portrait of a soldier during World War I who had left his regiment and had gone out into the middle of the battlefield. There were cannons and bullets flying everywhere, but he found a communication line that had been broken. It was very important for that communication line to be connected so that messages could be sent Uh, those in charge to those who needed to hear the message. So the painting shows the soldier taking one end of the broken line in his right hand and the other end of the broken line in his left hand and putting the two together, making it possible for communication to take place. And underneath the painting is the one word, through, through. And through the connecting of those two lines, the message could go across. Now the Bible tells us In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. 
And so it is through Jesus Christ that we get through to the Father. And that's what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. His outstretched hands, taking the hand of God, the hand of man, and bringing the two of us together. One mediator, not many. Only one God, not many. Just one. And it is through the Lord Jesus Christ that we have for forgiveness of sin and the peace that passes all understanding. Imagine with me for a moment. Let me use a hypothetical illustration. And using myself as that illustration. And let's say that all of you, all of us, have the disease of cancer. Okay? All of us have cancer. Hypothetical illustration. And let's say that, uh, that you took me out to the city dump out here on the west side of town. And you would take all of the cancer that you have and you would put it on me. Then you would kill me. When you killed me, you would kill the cancer. When you bury me, you would bury the cancer. That's what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. All of your sins, all of your transgressions, all of your iniquities were placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So all of your sins were placed on Jesus and God killed Jesus on the cross. You say, well, I didn't know God. Yes, it does. Isaiah says it pleased the Father to kill the Son. And, and so Jesus died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, your sins died with him. When he was buried in the tomb, your sins were buried with him. And when he rose from the dead... Alive, the resurrection and the life, when you embraced him as Lord and Savior through a spirit of repentance, you received eternal life. You received the forgiveness of sin. And it was all because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. God the Father planned it. God the Son purchased it. Notice the third thing. It was provided to us by the Holy Spirit. Provided by God the Holy Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. It is the Holy Spirit who produces that. He takes the, when, when you got saved, when you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, what happened was the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus in the Spirit, took up residence in your heart. Jesus lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I go away. If I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit back into you and he will dwell in you. The word, the, the word comforter, literally means one of the same kind. And so the Holy Spirit is Jesus in the Spirit and he lives in you. That's why you can have peace and I can have peace all at the same time. And it's done for us by the Holy Spirit. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God disbanded Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. At Calvary. So God has provided for us the peace that passes all understanding. Notice the second thing, not only the provision of peace, the, po the possession of peace. First of all, there is the peace with God. We can have peace with God. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans, the fifth chapter of Romans and verse 1. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. There are two or three words here that I, are, I want to point out to you. And it, well, all of them, but especially three. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. We're talking about the peace with God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, justification. We've been justified by faith. You remember the definition of justification. An easy way to remember the definition of justification is to break it up into syllables and repronounce it just as if. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, from that point on, God treats you just as if you had never sinned. All because of the blood of Jesus covering your sins and washing your sins away. That's what justification means. God treats you just like you'd never sinned. And it's all by faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now notice those words, we have. Very elementary thing. But those words mean present tense. We have. Not we hope to have. Not that we will have. Or not that we have had. But present tense. We have peace with God in the here and the now. Right now, this moment. You have the peace of God living in your heart. Notice another word there in verse 1 of Romans 5. The word with. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have right now peace with God. The word with speaks of a personal, intimate relationship with God. But you know it has has even a, a greater and deeper meaning than that. The word with literally in the Greek language means to be able to look at a person in his face. Uh, without any shame or being embarrassed. It's just, you know, when, when we would look at one another, uh, we'd look at each other uh, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, eye to eye. And he's saying that because you have been justified by faith through Christ, that, that you have peace right now with God and you're able to look at God face to face and not be afraid, not be ashamed, not be embarrassed at all. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary, you can have a face-to-face contact with the Father, looking upon Him. Now, I know that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we look through a glass darkly, but then face-to-face. But when it comes time for me to stand before the Lord, I I will not have to draw back in shame and disgrace and embarrassment. Uh, We we know that God loves us and he cares for us and Jesus died for us and our sins are forgiven and and I don't have to stand and tremble in his presence out of fear of being damned into an eternal hell forever. I am at peace with God because of Jesus Christ and I can stand before the Lord and in the name of Christ and the grace that has been given to me, I can look at God in the face and thank him for his forgiveness. Thank him for his love. Thank him for his grace. And thank him for the peace that I have that passes all understanding. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God right now and we can look upon him with gratitude. Notice the second thing. Not only peace with God, but there's the peace of God. The peace of God. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, And the peace of God which... surpasses all comprehension. I don't understand it. I just accept it. I'm glad to be able to experience God's peace. I don't deserve it. You don't either. But it's the peace that surpasses all understanding, all comprehension. And he says in Philippians 4, 7, that it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard 
or keep. If you have the King James Version, it says it would keep your heart and mind in peace. It's a, it's a military term talking, talking about a sentinel who, who stands guard uh, to keep any intruder uh, from either coming on the base or coming into camp. He's just there to guard and protect the soldiers that he's been assigned to, the post that he's been assigned to. And, and it's just like saying, keep out. Peace has been given to you to stand over your heart, over your mind as a divine sentinel. And it says, keep out. Keep out worry. Keep out distress. Keep out frustration. Keep out the devil. Keep out demons. You're not allowed here. God's peace protects you from the troubles that are in the world. You know, I have good news for you. I started out by quoting to you what John has recorded in the words of Jesus, in the world you have tribulation. But that's not where the verse ends. The verse goes on to say, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. And Jesus has. And he gives us a peace that passes all understanding. And he will guard you. You know, I've talked with people in our church on several occasions who were going through some very difficult times in their hearts, in their lives. Sickness, surgery, even death. And I've heard time and time again, you know, Pastor, it's been difficult to have to face this, but I'm not worried and I'm not upset and not stressed out. God has given me an inner peace. And it doesn't matter what happens. If, if, if the surgery goes well, fine. If it doesn't, that's okay too. Either way, I'm with the Lord. The Lord is with me. And there's just something about knowing that God is with you and peace stands over your heart and over your mind like a sentinel and it won't allow you, if you will allow him to be the guard that he is supposed to be, you won't have the worries and the anxieties and the distress and the frustrations that are wearing you out physically, mentally, and spiritually. He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Isaiah said. So there's the peace from God or of God. And, and then the third thing is peace from God. Peace from God. Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. The word rule there literally means to allow peace to act as an umpire. You know, it's important when we, we play games, football, basketball, baseball, whatever it might be, the Olympics that are going on, concluding today. There are those judges, there are those overseers in, in football and baseball and, and, and basketball. There's the umpires, there's the referees. They supervise and oversee the game to make sure that everybody obeys the rules. And that all the games is being played according to the rules. If there's a violation of the rules, the whistle is blown, stop the penalty is paid. But the referee, the umpire, they are there to make sure that we follow the rules of the game. And now Paul is saying that peace is the umpire. He is the referee who supervises our lives. And when we get out of line, when we go astray, when we do things that we shouldn't do, say things we shouldn't say, go to places where we shouldn't go, it's the Holy Spirit who pricks our conscience and who shares with us, hey, you've gotten out of line here. No, don't go any farther. This is the way to go. You're going in the wrong direction. You come back this way. You violated the rules. You walk with the Lord. Walk in the Spirit. And you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so the Holy Spirit 
acts as our umpire and our referee. You know, an interesting observation in the writings of the Apostle Paul, whenever he wrote, whether it's the book of Romans to the Christians at Rome or the book of First and Second Corinthians to the Christians at Corinth or at Philippi or Ephesus or wherever it may have been, he usually begins his epistle by saying, grace and peace to you. Interesting observation. It's never peace and then grace. It's always grace and peace. You look at it, Romans and Corinthians and Timothy and Thessalonians, it's always grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. So it's always grace. You experience grace first, then you receive peace. You experience the forgiveness of sin first, then you have peace. So there's the peace that comes to us from God. We cannot have peace without first experiencing grace. Notice the third thing, not only the provision of peace and the possession of peace, but there is the promotion of peace, the promotion of peace. Notice what he says going back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, the peacemakers. So we are in the business of promoting peace, of being peace at ourselves as well with others. And there are three ways that we are to promote peace. First of all, we are to promote peace between yourself and other people. In other words, if you are at odds with one another, if you have somebody that you are holding a grudge against, if there's some ill will that you have toward a brother or a sister, whomever it may be, as a peacemaker, it is your responsibility to go to that individual and seek to be reconciled to them first. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said, If you are presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering." So it's your brother first and then the offering. So if, if you are at odds with someone, if you have a disagreement with someone and you're not speaking to someone and there's a barrier between you and that other individual, Paul says to us that we ought to, to the best of our ability, to live at peace one with another. And Jesus is saying, if you come to worship and you realize there's something between you and that other individual, you leave your offering there. You go get straightened out with your brother. You find forgiveness and be forgiving and be loving and be kind. But forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Again, you remember uh, when Peter went to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Till seven times? And Jesus said, uh, 70 times 7, 490 times you should forgive that individual. Well, so, you know, I, I forgave him one time, and then he turned around and did the same thing again. Now I'm expected to forgive him. That's what Jesus said. Well, he did this five other times before. Might have forgiven him the sixth time? Yes. It's not, you, don't, you don't count how many times. It, it, what he's saying here is that you ought to have an unlimited forgiving spirit. If he comes to you a thousand times, you still forgive him. Let the Lord take care of him. Sit God on him. You know? Pray about him. Pray for him. Pray God to touch him or her, whomever it may be. I enjoy the, the writings of Warren Wiersbe. I have his devotional commentaries. And, and talking about forgiveness, he tells the story of a man who came to him with marital problems. 
uh, he, he was not a very well-educated man. And sometimes, Wiersbe says, he got his words all confused. And, and so he was talking to Dr. Wiersbe, and he said, uh, me and my wife are having martial problems. <laughs> what he meant was marital problems. But Wiersbe went on to say, you know, after talking with him, I realized Marshall was probably right. They were fighting like cats and dogs. But he said the word that really caught his attention was when he said, Pastor, me and my wife need a recancelization. <laughs> well, what he meant was reconciliation. But then again, Wiersbe thought, you know, the recancelization was not a bad choice. There can be peace and reunion of those who are at war only when sin has been canceled. As sinners before a righteous God, we need a recancelization. Our sins were canceled, you know, at the cross. Paul tells us that God took all of the sins and wrote them all out and nailed them to the cross and wrote forgiveness across it with the blood of Jesus. Canceled all of your sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed your sins from you, your iniquities from you, your transgressions from you. God loves you. And so between yourself and other people, if you are at odds, that's where you start. But not only between yourself and others, between one person and another person. You can act as an arbitrator, as a mediator, <laughs> Someone once asked an old Indian, what ailed the world? And the Indian replied, everybody smoked peace pipe, but nobody in hell. <laughs> so we're to be peacemakers. I want to ask you a question. Are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? Some people, troublemakers. You know, some of the meanest people I've ever met go by the name of Christian. Are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? A troublemaker is someone who does things or says things that causes and creates strife and trouble. A peacemaker is someone who causes or creates peace by what they say or by what they do. I want to give you two illustrations from the Old Testament of individuals who are, were at odds with one another, but they took the steps of being reconciled. And the first example is that of Abraham and Lot. An uncle and a nephew, both of them very prosperous. This is found in Genesis chapter 13. And it finally got to the point, they both prospered so, that the servants of both Abraham and Lot began to fuss and quarrel and fight among themselves. Abraham realized there was a problem. He didn't ignore it. He didn't hide his face in a hole somewhere and think, well, if I just pretend that it doesn't exist, it'll resolve itself. No. Abraham took the initiative and he went to his nephew and he said, Lot, Lot, you, you've prospered so, I've prospered so. It's gotten to the point our servants don't even get along with one another. I want you to look out here and you go in one direction and I'll go in another direction. Abraham left it up to Lot. He was kind and forgiving and he took the initiative. He didn't say, I'm going to go this way, you go that way. He said, Lot, you, you pick which direction you want to go. Unfortunately, as you know, he chose to go the, the way uh, of, uh, of sin and, and uh, of the... Um, the opposite direction, but he, he gave Lot that choice to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, all right, you, you go that way, I'll go this way. And, and, it, and it, it removed the conflict that was there. There would be no strife between the two of them, no strife between their herdsmen. 
And so Abraham dealt righteously in that he dealt frankly with the problem. He didn't hide from it. He didn't try to escape from it. He didn't play it down as being not a serious problem. He gave Lot first choice of the land and Abraham's actions and attitude brought peace. The second example is found in 1 Samuel chapter 25 between Abigail and David. Abigail was named, uh, married to a man by the name of Nabal. The word Nabal means fool. And Nabal was a fool in what he had done. Nabal hired David. This was when David, before he became the king, and he was a fugitive running from Saul. He had a group of men who followed him, his army. And David hired himself out to be a protector of people. And Nabal entered into an agreement with David and his men that David and his men would protect him and his men and his property. And David did that. But when payday time came, Nabal reneged on the agreement and refused to pay him. And when David found out that Nabal wasn't going to pay him for what he had hired him to do, David looked at his soldiers and says, put your swords on, we're going to go kill him. Word got ahead of what was going to happen and word came to Abigail. Abigail was Nabal's wife. And uh, Abigail was a smart woman. She was wise. She realized that her husband was a fool and acted in a foolish way. But in order to, to keep him from being killed and there to be peace there, Abigail gathered up a whole bunch of food, a whole bunch of, of, of other items, and she got on her donkey in the caravan and she intercepted David, who was on the way to kill Nabal. And she said to David, my husband is a fool. He lives up to his name. And he's done very, an unwise thing in the way that he's failed to keep his agreement with you. But... but I beg of you, don't kill him. Spare his life. I have brought all of these things so that there might be peace among us. She's a wise woman. And whenever you are at, at odds with, you see two people who are at odds with one another, act as an arbitrator. Act as a, a mediator between those two people. Be a peacemaker. Help them, if you can, to sit down and work out their differences. So between yourself and others, between one person and another person, and most of all, between men and God. That is our ultimate responsibility as peacemakers that we are to go to people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ in the forgiveness of sin and help them to be reconciled to the Father, to point them to Jesus, to show them of their sins and of their need to repent of their sins. In other words, to be an evangelist, to share the good news of Jesus Christ because the Bible describes us as in the book of Ephesians that we were the enemies of the Lord, the barrier between us, and the Lord, Paul says so in the book of Romans chapter 5, we were sinners, we were enemies of God, and, and we couldn't save ourselves, and, and yet there is peace with God if we will trust Him. This brings me to the fourth and the final thing, not only the provision of peace and the possession of peace and the promotion of peace, but there's the promise to the peacemaker. The promise to the peacemaker. There are three things First of all, we are privileged to be called children of God. We are privileged to be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. One of my favorite verses of scriptures in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Beloved, what manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he does appear, we shall be like him, 
for we shall see him as he is. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. So if you are a peacemaker, you're privileged to be called a child of God. Secondly, we are partakers of the nature of God by the nature of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For we have not received a spirit of slavery leading us to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So what happened was when you, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit took the righteousness of God and he transplanted it into your heart and into your life. And when God looks upon you, he doesn't see your unrighteousness. He sees, your, he sees the righteousness of his son. The Holy Spirit lives within you. I remember reading an illustration out of one of the late Dr. Criswell's books of a father and a son who were in a building of a high-rise apartment in a, in a city watching a parade. They were watching it through a stained glass window. Uh, and on the bottom of the stained glass window, the stained glass was red. And uh, the little son was not big enough that he could see above like his father. When he looked down at the parade, he was looking at it through the red stained glass. Along came a, a, a band whose members were dressed in red uniforms. But when the little boy looked at them through the red stained glass, he said, oh, dad, look at their white uniforms. And he said, well, son, they're not wearing white uniforms. They're wearing red uniforms. He said, no, dad, they're white. And what he realized was when you look at something that's red through a red stained glass, it will be white. Your sins are red like crimson, but when God looks at you, he looks at you through the blood of his dear son. And he doesn't see your unrighteousness. <laughs> he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And it's white as snow. White as snow. We are partakers of the nature of God. Thirdly, we are fulfilling the purpose of God. We're fulfilling the purpose of God. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace who brought you up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. In other words, what he's saying is that Jesus Christ, when he lives in you, he equips you. He equips you, among other things, to be a soul winner, to go to other people, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. At the beginning of this sermon, I talked about James telling us in the fourth chapter of his epistle that we were all at war. Every single person born into this world is at war with God. Someone has said what happens at, at conversion is when you were born, you were born with your back turned toward God. But when you got saved, you turned around and faced the Lord. You are at odds with God if you're outside of Jesus Christ. The good news is that Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. He is the Prince of Peace. He wants to bring peace to your heart and to your life. 
Many of you have already experienced that forgiveness of sin. You have experienced and received and now live in that incomprehensible peace that passes all understanding. You know what it is to be at peace with God and to have the peace of God and the peace that comes from Him. Rejoice in it, my dear friend. Be grateful to God. But what about the family members? What about your neighbors? What about the people you work with who don't know Jesus Christ? Can you not be a peacemaker and go to them and share the good news that there is forgiveness of sin and life everlasting when you trust Jesus Christ to be your Prince of Peace? Let's bow together. I wish that I could look into your heart today and see what's there and, and see whatever it is in the way of a decision that you need to make and make that decision for you. But I, I cannot do that. The Lord can and he does. God doesn't judge you by your outward appearance. He looks upon your heart. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows the kind of problems that you're, that you're experiencing. He knows whether or not you have accepted him and his son as your blessed savior. If you're here today and you have turmoil and trouble and difficulties that you're struggling with, trust the Prince of Peace. Let peace that God gives to you stand as a sentinel over your life. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good courage. Jesus has overcome the world. Rest in his peace. Turn it over to him and let him be the Lord and master of your life. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, I've got good news for you. God loves you. He sent his son into this world to die for you. And if you'll repent of your sins, which means that you turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus, you can be saved, you can be forgiven, and you can experience that eternal peace. If you'd be willing to say a prayer simply like this, just you can say it privately in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. You can if you wish to, but just in the privacy of your own heart. God doesn't judge you by your outward appearance. He looks upon your heart. So he knows what you're going to say, whether you say it verbally or just silently in your heart and mind. But say something like this as you pray to, pray to God. Oh, dear God, I am a sinner. I admit to you that I have sinned. I'm sorry for my sin. I want to turn away from my sin. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that he rose from the dead. I want to trust him now. And I do trust him now as my Savior and my Lord. And I want to follow him from this day forward. And so, Lord, I put my trust in you. And I surrender my life to you. Please come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time in your life, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. The next step for you to do is to make it public. And one of the reasons why we give an invitation at the end of our service is to give you an opportunity to come forward and let us rejoice with you in your decision. We're not trying to make it difficult for you to do that. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. So coming down an aisle and taking the preacher by the hand doesn't save you. We're simply here to rejoice with you and to know that you love Jesus and you've accepted him and rejoice with the angels in heaven. So if God's Holy Spirit is leading you to come, please come. If there are other decisions that you have to make, if you're looking for a church home, you feel this is where God would have you to come and place your life here, we welcome you as well. Let's all stand together and as Jack leads us, you come. Mm -hmm.